Hey friends, this is Linda and welcome to another episode of Calling Water, the podcast where we take a passage of scripture and talk about what it means and some things it might call us to do. In today's episode, On a Level Place, we're looking at Luke chapter 6 verses 17 through 26 and what Jesus says about how we can delay gratification of our immediate wants in anticipation of a bigger, more eternal purpose. Let's get started. So most of you have probably heard about the famous marshmallow experiment conducted by Stanford University in the 60s. Basically, they got a group of kids and gave each one a marshmallow and promised them that if they waited without eating it right away, they would get a second marshmallow. And then the researcher returned after 15 minutes or so to record what happened. Now, the experiment itself was very simple, but the implications were huge because the scientists apparently tracked these kids into adulthood and found out that the kids who had held out for that second marshmallow grew up and led a marginally higher quality of life and tended to have better success than the kids who ate their first marshmallow immediately. The idea here is that people who know how to delay gratification demonstrate better impulse control such that they can choose the pain of discipline and hard work over whatever is easy and immediate for greater long-term payoffs. Now, if you think about it, This applies to our lives as followers of Jesus as well, because we are a people who have eternity at stake, but we often get distracted by the pleasures and rewards that are in our current line of sight. And in today's scripture, Jesus talks about all the ways we might enjoy that now, but it won't last. The text for today in Luke chapter 6 begins just after Jesus had appointed his 12 disciples after praying on a mountainside. Then the real work began. Verses 17 through 19 tell us, He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. But in the midst of all this buzz, Jesus looks at his disciples, and he gives them the following message. And by doing so, he's reminding them that his work and his ministry for the kingdom of God is not about fame or hype or physical comfort. Jesus in this passage begins by stating four blessings, then follows them up with four woes. And each blessing is the direct opposite of the woe. And moreover, each so-called blessing doesn't even seem like a blessing at all on the surface. So let's take a look at these blessings and woes in a little bit more detail. And I've grouped them into two umbrella categories, and they represent two areas in which Jesus is inviting us to look at the long view and not just immediate results. The first overarching category has to do with possessions. 
Verses 20 through 21 say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Conversely, in verses 24 through 25, we find, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Now, how on earth does this make sense? Well, that's kind of the point. On earth, it makes absolutely no sense. Because those who have gone without know how to seek for what they need. They know how to yearn for something with desperation and reckless abandon, and they commit to God to provide for them because they physically cannot. They literally have nowhere else to turn and nothing to fall back on. So they are considered blessed because they are naturally clinging to God. But those who are wealthy seldom seek God with that same urgency as someone who has next to nothing. I mean, they say money can't buy happiness, but it sure can buy a lot of things that simulate happiness. The power, prestige, and comforts that come from what money can buy makes them blind to the things that are wrong in the world and in themselves. So they are, in essence, insulated by their wealth and status that they don't think they need God in the same way when they've already got it made. Now, does this mean that we all need to be poor to fully experience God and to be given a place in the kingdom of God? Of course not. But there is a reason why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, that one cannot serve two masters, God and money, as each of those masters are diametrically opposed. To be clear, to have a master means to follow their every command as though it is of your own volition. And money on its own is neutral. It's neither good nor evil. I mean, it's actually necessary to survive even. But once money becomes your master, then the pursuit of making money can make you make terrible choices that trade on your values and relationships. And following money is an endless and exhausting way of life fraught with anxiety and insecurity. After all, do rich people ever feel like they have enough? Rarely, and they're all afraid that it'll go away one day. But if you can wait out for that second marshmallow, which is actually a very poor analogy for the kingdom of God, I apologize. But you get what I mean, right? If you can delay the gratification of being rich and well-fed now, and we do what it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, then Jesus says, then all these other things will be given to you as well. Now, the second set of blessings and woes has to do with people. Luke chapter 6, verse 21 says, Blessed are you who weep now, for, for you will laugh. While verse 25 says, Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Now, let's just take a second and observe how bizarre of a statement that is. In summary, Happy are you if you're sad now, because you will be happy, and sad for you if you're happy now, because you will be sad. It's very confusing. But let's 
take a look at the word blessed for just a second. Now, we use the word blessed so loosely nowadays that we tend to equate blessings with anything that feels good in the moment, right? Hashtag blessed. But in the original language, the word blessed used in scripture might better be described as happy. And by happy, we mean truly happy, self-contained joy, a happiness that exists regardless of circumstances, happiness that is not a reaction to external influences, but it's a state of true and complete contentment. But don't be confused. This doesn't mean that you need to suppress your emotions because there will be moments in our lives that cause us grief, anger, bitterness, frustration, and the like, and that's completely okay. You don't need to mask your feelings with a happy face on the outside because that is not what this passage is talking about. If we read on, verses 22 through 23 tell us, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Whereas in verse 26 we find, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Now, Jesus' message here reminds us that when we hold out for our eternal reward in heaven as opposed to immediate gratification in the world, it will be challenging. In short, people will laugh at us and make us cry. Our hearts will be broken by people who turn their backs on us, who manipulate and take advantage of us, who abuse us and demean us. Now, they may laugh now and relish in their accomplishments, but their day will come. And so will ours, because whatever we suffer in social capital for the sake of Christ will not go unnoticed. So just like Jesus is saying, don't gratify ourselves with material possessions, he's also saying to not gratify ourselves with people. Just like we seek and trust God first instead of chasing after financial gains, we can seek and trust God first instead of relying only on others. People will end up letting us down, even the ones we confide in the most. And that's not necessarily because they despise you. It's just a part of the human condition to be imperfect and fickle. People by nature are simply unreliable. So if all our trust lies in people only, we are setting up ourselves for serious disappointment. But if again, we take the long view, we can let go of that craving we have for validation and affirmation from others and instead seek our reward in heaven from the one who really matters. But you know, I'm going to level with you. As much as we sing in our songs and recite it in our prayers, it's really difficult to say to God, thy will be done and truly mean it. And you know, that's because we don't trust God as fully as we think. You see, what I didn't mention about that Stanford marshmallow experiment is that there was a follow-up study 
years later, conducted by the University of Rochester, where they essentially did the same thing, but then they split the kids into two groups. The first group, before they were given the marshmallows, they were exposed to a set of unreliable experiences, meaning the researchers promised them that they would give them a better set of crayons or better stickers, but they never did. And then the second group was exposed to reliable experiences where the researchers gave the kids whatever was promised to them. Can you guess which group did better with waiting for that second marshmallow? The second group by far, because they saw that the researchers kept their promise and they did what they said they would do. So they had very little reason to doubt that if they waited long enough, they would get a second marshmallow. The first group had very little incentive to stick it out and wait because they had no faith in the promises that were made to them. Now, I know there are times it might not appear as though God is looking out for us because we do face disappointments and struggles all the time, but don't let those circumstances rattle your faith in God. What happens with the possessions and people in our lives are not indicative of God's love and care for us or lack thereof, because what God promises, He does. And God is the only reliable experience we need. So it might look like the rich, well-fed, happy, and admired people are the ones receiving God's blessings right now. But Jesus reminds us that the poor, hungry, sad, and excluded ones are the ones he calls blessed. Blessed because anyone who suffers for God will not only receive their reward in heaven, but also because God will duly provide all their needs. And those who are in that former category, the ones who are rich, well-fed, happy, and admired, are they doomed? Not if they challenge themselves to seek God and seek righteousness. They may not be poor, but they can be poor in spirit. They may not be hungry, but they can hunger and thirst for righteousness. And by doing so, they become conduits of blessings for others. God's kingdom is truly opposite and upside down in this way. And that's why when I read this text, the bit that stuck out to me was verse 17, way in the beginning when it says, He went down with them and stood on a level place. Now, I know it's just a geographical description of where Jesus was, but by giving the message, of blessings and woes that are reversed on a level plane, it painted a beautiful illustration for me for how Jesus was leveling the playing field for us. When it comes to the kingdom of God, it's as though Jesus is saying, no one has a distinct advantage. Everyone has the same handicap, sin, but everyone has the same playbook by which to be given the kingdom of God, and that is to trust in God first, rather than solely depending on possessions and people. So, what are your next steps? In what ways does this text and this message give hope to the poor, hungry, sad, or excluded parts of you? And in what ways are you already rich? well-fed, happy, and admired, that you can extend that to be an instrument of blessings for others. 
whatever it is, keep your eyes on that long-term prize and know that whatever is easy and satisfying for the moment is not worth it because whatever this world has to offer by definition is fleeting, but what God has to give is forever. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending us your son, Jesus, to meet with us on a level place. How blessed are we that our woes are in fact merely gateways to infinite blessings in you. Help us to give up chasing success and acceptance from everywhere else when we've had it all along in you. Give us the strength to delay any gratification this world entices us with so that we may hold out for your promises, which are far greater than we could ever imagine. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven to come down to our level to show us how we can level up our relationship with you every day. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.